faith of the gospel. Let's read verses 27 through 30. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. Now to many professing Christians today, they, they, many of them have a wrong view of Christianity. You know, the view for many today in America is the view almost of Christianity. is almost like the old TV show, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. How many of you remember that? Younger, younger folks are like, I don't know what you're talking about. But you go back 20, 25 years, that was a big TV show, and they would, they would highlight these rich people. Look, there are, there, are, there are many in Christian circles who today kind of have this mentality, is that to be a believer is this, that, you know, if you follow Jesus, then everything is health and wealth and fun and games. There's no problems. There's no adver, adver, uh, adversity. Uh, it's, it's basically a perpetual vacation. Just life is wonderful. And that is what is taught in many circles. But that's not the biblical view of the Christian life. According to the Bible, this life is not a playground. Folks, it's a battleground. It's a battleground. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you'll just take your word right now and you'll take your servant right now and that, God, you you will use what you've prepared in me this week. You would give me clarity and thought and allow me to communicate exactly what you want communicated. And I pray you'd help me to clearly communicate it the way you want it communicated. Bind my mouth from saying what you don't want said. Bring to mind things, Lord, that, that I haven't even considered. If it's what you would have me to share, then I pray that you would impress on me to share it in this message. But I pray that, Lord, you would, you would, you would speak to me and speak through me this morning. Lord, prepare our hearts, our minds, our spiritual ears to hear the Word of God, to, to humble ourselves before Your Word, and then to obediently respond, God, to whatever it is You're doing in us, and then what You want to do through us. So bless God this time, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the, the, the title I've given this message this morning is simply this, from, from the idea of this, this life is a battle, and we're to contend for the faith, we're going to see that in just a moment, is, is battle stations. For we as believers, we need to be ready for battle. And there's some things that, that Paul's going to share with us that are going to help us in that. Now, Jude tells us in, in chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. Contend earnestly for the faith. It means, it means it's, there's contention. It means there is a struggle. There is a battle there. I had a pastor, one of, one of my favorite things I've ever heard. I, I had a pastor said this. He said, we are commanded to con- contend for the faith. He said, the problem is for some of you, you're so contentious, you're no good for the kingdom. So it's not about us being contentious with, with other people. It's about us contending for the faith. Amen? 
That's what we should do. We can, be, we can contend for the faith without being contentious and argumentative and, and fighting and building up walls. We can find a way to listen and communicate and talk and learn and, and share and, and, and to lead us. But we are commanded to contend. There's a battle that's going on for the faith. 2 Timothy 2, 3 says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. There's that mentality there of battle if you're a soldier in this of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And now, uh, and also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So Paul uses a couple of things there. He talks about, he talks about uh, uh, being a, a warrior, being a, a soldier, and, and how we would do in battle. We, we disconnect from these things of the world so that we can please the one who's called us as, we, as we're in battle. But he also relates it to athletics and how uh, Paul does that often, using athletics as an illustration for this battle that we have with the Lord. Now, the faith of the gospel is the totality of divine truth given to the church. If you want to talk about what is the faith of the gospel, it's, this, it's, this, it's the, the message of the gospel. It's all of the divine truth that's been given to the church. Jude called it, as we, as we go back to Jude 1.3, it says, it says, "...contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints." Now, Paul warned in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, that in later times some, which should, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Do we see that today? I think we've seen that in every generation from, from that time till today, we've seen that. But I would say we're seeing that more and more and more at a rampant level. We're seeing right now, we're seeing churches that five years ago we would have sworn are on solid ground biblically that today have gone totally off the rails that have gone totally, in just that short period of time, they've totally gone away from the Word of God in, in several areas and compromised truths. So God committed this spiritual treasure to Paul. 1 Timothy 1.11 says, According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. That's what Paul said. And he in turn committed it to others, like Timothy and then others. In 1 Timothy 6.20 he says, Oh, Timothy, guard, that, uh, what, guard what was committed to your trust. And then their responsibility was pass that treasure on to still others. 2 Timothy 2.4, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so, folks, that's why it's important that we as a church, we engage in a teaching ministry, that we have strong teaching ministry. Because it doesn't just, this doesn't happen by osmosis. We are to teach the Word of God. We're to teach the, teach the doctrinal truths of the Word of God. I praise God for this. We have a strong Sunday school. Brother John was just telling me that his class, we just split his class, split that class a couple months ago maybe, if that long. His, his class is already full. It's growing. We're having people that they want to come and sit under the Word of God. They want to know what the Word of God says. And that's what, that's what we're commanded to do. It's what we need to do because we all need to know the truths of the Scriptures. Amen? You know, you can't, you can't go to battle if you, don't know, if, you don't know, if you don't have the right weapon or if you don't have the knowledge of what you're to do. So we're to engage in that so that each new member and each generation of believers will know and appreciate and use the great heritage of the faith that, that the Lord has passed down to us. But there's an enemy that's out there, and he wants to steal this treasure, these truths, these doctrinal truths from God's people. Paul had met this enemy in Philippi. He had battled this enemy there, and he was now facing this enemy in Rome. And folks, if Satan can only rob believers of their Christian faith, and, and there are folks who are believing lies, 
This morning, there are people who are believing lies. Here's the greater problem. This morning, in churches, as I said, in, in just recent past, we're speaking solid biblical truth. Today, are speaking lies. And the problem is you have someone in this position who strays away from the Word of God, and people will follow. And I encourage you, I've said this from the start, our church is solid in this way. If I veer from the Word of God, you confront it. Amen? Amen. And do not take what I say as, well, it's the gospel, preacher said. Don't ever say preacher said. Go to the Word of God. Look at what Scripture teaches. If I'm teaching anything that's not Scripture, I'm wrong. Anyone that does that is wrong. We must hold true to the, to the Scriptures. Satan will, will, will use... Now, someone can make a mistake. I, I could make a mistake. I could, I could study and prepare and genuinely believe I taught something right and, and I'd be wrong in that. And if I'm wrong, I'm gonna, I'll confess it. But if someone veers off to where it's an intentional... You know what? That's got to be dealt with. It, it, it's got to be dealt with. And so uh, Satan's tactic is to steal that truth. Man, he's, he's winning in a lot of churches today where they're not speaking truth. He's perverted it. It's no longer truth. He's perverted it. And the gospel's been, been changed, and now there's lies that are being spewed. And, and look, that's where when the, 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 the ministry of the gospel can be defeated. It's sad to hear profession Christians say this, and I've heard it. You know, I don't care what you believe just as long as you're sincere. I, 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 that just that irks me. Really, really bad. Uh, what we believe is, is ultra important. What we believe is ultra important. Church, what we believe determines how we behave. It, it determines how we worship, how we live out our faith, all of that. How we behave is absolutely determined by what we believe. And wrong belief ultimately means wrong living. It's wrong living in the way we live it out. It's in the, in the way, things we practice, the things we tolerate, the things that we embrace. And we're seeing that all within our, within our community today, that truth is not being held to and lies are now being embraced within the quote-quote Christian community. Each local church is one generation from potential extinction. One generation. I mean, I would have thought, ah, that's kind of hard because one gener- you're talking about a you know, 20-year period or something. And we're seeing that in five years now, churches that have totally, totally gone, gone away gone away from the Word of God. No wonder Satan attacks our young people so diligently. He's seeking to get them away from the faith. Man, guard your children. Keep your children in church. Don't let things come between your children and church. Don't put things between your children and church. Help your children to understand, you know, we don't come to... This is not a legalistic act that we come to church. I don't come to church... Well, I would say this. I think we do have to. I think as believers, it's not optional. We're not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together. Amen? So in that sense, it is, it's really not optional for us as believers. But I don't come because I have to. I come because I want to. I want to be here. I want to hear the Word of God preached. I want to hear the Word of God taught. I want to fellowship together with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I need that encouragement. Anybody else need that encouragement? You need your your battery charged and you think you don't. Think about your cell phone. You just go and how many of you, your cell phones died? You know what do you do? We, We are diligent to plug that cell phone in, aren't we? Man, 
We, we are, we are, I'm down to 50%. Praise God, I need a charger. It might go out and I would be, you know, so we, we got to plug that thing in. Yet we don't take that type of mentality when it comes to us ourselves spiritually. With the Word of God, with prayer, with fellowship. This is a plugging in and recharge time. Amen? We need this. We need this. So how can we fight? How can we as Christians fight? What, is that? what are our weapons? 2 Corinthians 10, 4 says, For the wages of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Peter used a sword in the Garden of Gethsemane, a physical, literal sword, and the Lord chastised him for that. He rebuked him for that. Put, put that away. And, and so you can go read that in John chapter 18. We use the spiritual weapons. Here's our weapons of the Word of God and prayer, and we must depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the source of our power is through the Holy Spirit. So we, we, it's the Word of God and prayer. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the whole armor of God, putting on that armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle. That's right, wrestle. <laughs> we don't wrestle. Wrestle. We wrestle. Amen. We wrestle against flesh and blood. Uh, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And, and, and so Paul says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. We're to put on the armor of God that you may be able to, stand, to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. We get caught up in the we get caught up in the, the the picture of these things. Focus on what he's actually talking about. Okay, girded your waist girded with what truth? He says truth. You need to have truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's what we need to have in our life: truth and righteousness. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We need to carry the gospel with us. Man, we get caught, I've heard people, they get caught up in the shoes. Like there's actual physical shoes we put on. We are to carry it around. We're to walk around with it all the time. But it is, it is the gospel. It's the gospel. It's truth. It's righteousness. Above all, taking the shield of faith. The shield of faith, we're to have faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Our sword, our weapon, some of those are defensive things. A lot of those are defensive. The sword, that, the sword, that is an offensive weapon. That is, it can defend, but it is there to attack and to, and to, and to, and to fight with. And that is the word of God. Praying always, verse 18 says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Folks, we're to have truth and righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the word of God, and much prayer. It is through those things. Those are the weapons we fight with. Hebrews 4, 12 says, For the word of God is powerful, is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. Man, it is, it, that's our weapon. That's the weapon of our warfare is the word of God. But any army, regardless of the weapon we have, any army must fight together. They have to fight together. 
Uh, there's stories. There's, if you go back and you read, you read about the, the, the Six-Day War and the different battles that Israel has faced, it, and, and, and you'll hear testimonies of the enemies of Israel turning on themselves, shooting each other down out of the sky, tanks firing on each other. They're battling one another. Uh, you, you know what? You can't win when you start battling yourself. When you're battling that way. So armies, if we're going to battle, one of the things we've got to do is battle together. We've got to fight together. And this is why Paul sent these admonitions to his friends at Philippi. Paul explained in this passage that there are three essentials to victory in this battle to protect the faith. Now, here's the first. Here's the first. He says, he talks about conduct becoming of Christ. Conduct becoming of Christ. Verse, 20, uh, verse 27, the first part of verse 27. He says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now it is said that someone asked Gandhi, what is the greatest hindrance to Christian missions in India? Gandhi simply replied, Christians. Now that's a stinging criticism of, of, uh, that, that Gandhi could give for India. But I would tell you that such criticism, such criticism surely applies to America today. That the, the greatest hindrance to Christian, the Christian message going forward in America today is, and I'll use air quotes, Christians. Even in the midst of the battle, folks, as we battle this way, we must behave like, well, like Christians. That's how we have to behave. We have to behave like Christians. Now, in the Old English, the word there, conduct, and that's in the New King James. Uh, the, the King James, I think, uses the word, let your conversation. Well, the word doesn't really mean walk. So the conversation today, that word would convey the thought of conversation, conversing. It would be what we would think of talking. New King James captures that a little better, but the idea is our walk and not our talk. It's the way we actually live out. Talk is cheap. It's what we actually do, how we're living out our life. I think the ESV uses it, says it this way. It says manner of life. It's a great expression, your manner of life. How do you live out your faith? The most important weapon against the enemy is not a stirring sermon or a powerful book. It's believers consistently and faithfully living out their faith. Man, that's one of the most powerful things. I, I, I've met people who, who, who have criticism well, it's always, isn't this the one we hear? I ain't going to church. I was in them hypocrites. Well, there are hypocrites in church. Every single one of us in here is a hypocrite. Are we, are we going to be honest about that? Because I would say this. There's not a one of us in here, myself included, and if you disagree, I want you to come and share with me how, you, you, how, how you're right in this and I'm wrong. None of us, 100% of the time, Live out 100% of what we say we believe. There are a lot of things we say we believe. Well, I believe that the Lord's in control. He's got this. What do we do? We worry. The Lord says, watch your conversation. What do we do? We criticize. We complain. We gossip. We backbite. We, we stir up our neighbor against a neighbor. We sow discord. We, 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 we lie. There's a lot of things we do. Now, it may not be big stuff. It can be little things. But we, we, we're all hypocrites. So someone would use that criticism. But it's a shame when somebody says, I'm a Christian, they go out and they live like anything but. So I'm not talking about a little problem here or there. I'm talking about we don't live what we say we believe. 
Do we live it? That's, that's what we got to have. Paul's saying, behave the way citizens of heaven are supposed to behave. Now, I've traveled a fair amount. I got to travel to a lot of different countries. And here's one of the things I found a lot traveling in foreign countries is that when we would run into people from uh, other countries, a lot of times what we would find is the people who were loud, the people who were obnoxious, the people whose conversation was inappropriate. Guess where they were from? They were from America. Most of the time we'd be over in Europe especially, and, and, and they would tend to be quieter, but we might be on a bus or be on a plane or something, and we could see people be like, they'd be looking and making faces and be like, man. You could tell they were kind of like, yeah, Americans, you know. And that's embarrassing for me as an American because I know that's not what the best of us is about. But there are folks who misrepresent what being a good American's about. And, uh, man, we, so often... We're just so loud. A lot of times that's the way Christians are in the way that we live every day. We don't live out what we really believe, and people see that. So Paul was suggesting that we Christians are the citizens of heaven. He says in Philippians 3.20, he says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also earnestly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And while we're on earth, we ought to behave like citizens of heaven. That's what Paul's telling us. Look, if we're citizens of heaven, if, we, if we're going to conduct ourselves worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, worthy of his death, burial, and resurrection, then our lives ought to convey that in the way that we live it, the things we say, the things we do, the places we go, the things we engage in or do not engage in. It ought to, man, it ought to be worthy of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It ought to be worthy of a citizen of heaven. A citizen from heaven comes down. How should we act? Well, we know how we should act. We saw Jesus in the way he acted. A good question for us to ask ourselves often is this. Am I living out my faith in a manner worthy of the gospel? Ephesians 4.1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Colossians 1.10 says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. Who are we trying to please? Man, we shouldn't try to please anyone else, and we shouldn't try to please ourselves. We shouldn't try to please our flesh. Because, boy, our flesh is the one that's going to scream up, and, and it wants, it, it wants it's, it's like the story I use often about my daughter at six years old. I, I want what I want. That's the flesh. It wants what it wants. And that's what we have to be careful of. We're not to please the flesh. We're not to please myself. We're not to please anyone else. My job is not to please Gina. My job is to please the Lord. If I please the Lord, all those other things, the place take, take care of itself. We are to fully please Him. And it's worth remembering that the only gospel that this lost world around us may ever see is, is us living out what we believe, living out the gospel in the way that we live our lives and what they see in us. That may be the only gospel they see. So there's a poem I saw this week, and it doesn't, there's, there's no, I don't know who wrote it, but it says this. You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men, read what you write, whether faithful or true. Just what is the gospel according to you? You tell someone you're a Christian, they're going to watch your life. They're going to see how you live your life. Boy, everything we do is under a microscope. And it's so important 
You know, how are you living your life? What are they learning from what they watch in your life? What would be the gospel that they're seeing in the way you live out the gospel? 2 Corinthians 3, 2 says, You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Man, Paul wanted those who had become believers to live out their faith so others saw it. They would read, they would see the gospel in their life. You should see the gospel in my life. I should see the gospel in your life. Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We ought to live our lives in a way that the Lord Jesus is glorified. God the Father is glorified in heaven because of the way we live our lives. We must let them see Christ in our behavior, and this will open up opportunities for us to share Christ's gospel with them. Now, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried and rose again. Very simple. People a lot of times want to make the gospel really complex. The gospel is the death, burial, and uh, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that. That's the good news. He died. Why did he die? He died for our sin. He died to pay for our sin. He was buried, and he rose again, and he rose again. He proved that he was God. He proved he could do what he said he would do. He won victory over death, hell, sin, and the grave. And so that by us believing in him, placing our faith and our trust in him, repenting and turning from our sin and coming to him by faith, then we can be saved. That's the gospel message. But there are those who will change that. Galatians 1.6, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that what, you have, that what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. That's strong words. If the gospel is, is perverted, if someone comes, they're preaching another gospel, Paul said, let them be accursed. Let them go to hell. And we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel you do than that what you have than that what you have received, let him be accursed. The message of the gospel is the good news that sinners can become the children of God through faith in Jesus Christ, God's Son. To add anything to the gospel is to deprive it of its power. You're perverting the gospel. We're not saved from our sins by faith in Christ plus anything. Amen. We're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. That's it. It is is our acknowledging ourselves a sinner in need, and we come and we repent and we believe by faith in Jesus Christ and what He did for us. Now, the local church, folks, if we hold to that gospel, if we live out that gospel, if we live, we conduct ourselves worthy of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what happens when we go out in this world? See, our, 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 our behavior will then match and model what we believe. And then what the world will see will match with what we believe. Man, what a, what a great, great testimony we can have as a church when we live out the gospel. We live it out. We live it out with integrity. We conduct ourselves worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing Paul is going to tell us. So he tells us, he tells us here that our behavior, the way we conduct ourselves, the way we live our, our, our lives, conducting conduct that, that's becoming of Christ, um, that's important. The second thing he says is this, is cooperation. 
Now, there in Philippi, you know, they would have the same situations we might have here. Let's read verse, one, uh, verse 27 again here in chapter 1. It says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, listen, striving together for the faith of the gospel. One spirit, one mind, there's unity, striving together, there's unity for the faith of the gospel. Now, the word translated there, striving together, it gives us our English word athletics. That's, where that, that's what that word is translated. It's the word, it's the word soon athleo, and it means striving together as athletes. That's a little translation of that word. So we're striving together. Paul is using, again, this picture of athletics and teamwork. So Paul pictures the church as a team, and he reminded them that it is teamwork that wins victories. We, we band together. We have unity in the church. You want to tear a church up? Have you, disunity in the church. You want to divide a church? Have there begin to be problems and grumblings and people backbiting, people talking about others. Somebody gets mad about something, they start to, to tell others about it and build their little team over here. And you got a little team. That'll divide a church. It'll break a church. And that's a work. Listen, that's the work of Satan. That's the work of Satan. Sowing discord among the brethren... Tearing down our brothers and sisters in Christ, that's the work of Satan. And, it, and it's sinful. John Maxwell, one of America's top leadership authors and mentors, says that teamwork makes the dream work. That's a catchy little phrase, but it makes a lot of sense. When we band together, when we work together, and there's unity as we do these things together, we can have victory. Keep in mind that there was a division in the church there at Philippi. There were these, these two women that were fighting. They weren't getting along with each other. In, in Philippians 4.2, I implore Euodia and I implore Sintichi to be of the same mind in the Lord. And apparently the members of the fellowship were taking sides, as is often the case, and, and the resulting division was hindering the work of the church. Satan is always happy to see internal divisions in a local ministry. His idea is this, divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. That's his motto, and it often, it often is very effective, and it's all too often way too easy for him to do because we get caught up in the flesh, and there's division in the church. In Luke eleven seventeen, but he, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. We have to have unity in the church, folks. We have to, we have to fight for that. We have to continually strive together for the faith of the gospel. That's what Paul's saying here. Throughout this letter, Paul uses an interesting word or device to emphasize the importance of unity. So in the Greek language, what I just read, that word athleo, the, the, the prefix on that is the soon. It, it's pronounced S-O-O-N, soon. But it's S-U-N, and it's added, if you add that on as a prefix to any other word, it conveys this thought of with or together. So athleo, athletics. With, with, together, with as, as athletes. That's the idea he has right there. So in this, in this book of Philippians, 16 times Paul uses this prefix of soon. And, it, and it's kind of the idea that we would use like co, uh, cooperate, communicate, coordinate. It's with. It, it, it carries this idea of doing things together. So 16 times in this book he uses that word. What do you think Paul's trying to tell the Philippians? Unity. Work together. We've got to have unity. And we're striving 
together, not striving with each other, not striving among each other, but striving together in the faith of the gospel. Now, don't get mad. This is a great illustration. So look past where it's coming from, okay? Don't be jealous. Kirby Smart, some of you, if you follow college football at all, we know Kirby Smart's the head coach at the University of Georgia. One of the things I've heard him saying this year is this. He talks about mission, team, me. Mission, team, me. In fact, the guy got a penalty at the end of one of the, one of the halves, first half of one of the games this year. And as they come off the field, they always want to do the sideline interview. And they ask Kirby, said, you know, we just noticed you were talking to so-and-so. What were you telling him about? Well, we were talking about this, that what he did was selfish. What he just did was selfish. That was, a, that was a mindless, that was all about himself. And that's not Georgia football. He said, it is about mission. The mission is more important than the team. And the team is more important than me. And, and one of the things I've noticed is they don't have a lot of personal fouls. They don't have a lot of stupid penalties in that way because they're buying into the unity as a team that the mission is more important than the team, which is more important than me. We ought to have that same mentality, folks, and it ought to be this way with us. He is greater than, than we, which is greater than me. Christ first. Others second, me last. Boy, we see that theme again and again and again, don't we? If we want to have unity, it's not about me and then he and then we. No, no, no. It's not even about he and then me and then we. It's about he and then we and then me. That's the right order. Another illustration of this, of unity and teamwork, Michigan. Um, Sarah, you back there? Michigan, she loves them Wolverines. Michigan last week, they had a lead, so here's what they did. In the second half of their game, they, had, they ran 30 plays in the second half. They ran the ball 30 times, which means they threw the ball zero times. You know what's interesting? Not a one of the receivers on the team complained. They didn't come up, why don't you throw me the ball? I want to be a part of this too. I want to get the ball. I want some stats. I want to, you know, why don't give me the ball? None of that. You know why? Because they understand that same team mentality. Team, team, the mission is more important. The winning the game is more important than the team, which is more important than the me. They understood that. It's not always the way in church. It's not always that way in church. And uh, even when we look back in these days, you know, John had to deal with a man named Diotrephes. Because he, this man loved to have the preeminence. You know, sometimes we have that in church where folks love to have the preeminence. They want the spotlight. And that may not be their role, but they want the spotlight. Even the apostles James and John, you remember what they did, right? They went to the Lord. They wanted, they wanted seats right beside the Lord, right beside Him in the kingdom. Grant it that we get to sit on your right and your left, just right there beside you, Lord. Grant that to us. It's that, it's that ego. Boy, it doesn't sound like mission is more important than the team. It's more important than me. That sounds a whole lot like me. It's very important. You know what? It's the, the word that's so important here that Paul is conveying is the together. The together. You know, I think that's why we look around and we see a room full today. Because I believe we have a church that's trying to do this. We're trying to live out this gospel in unity. Amen? Amen. We're trying to... We're trying to striving together. 
It's this idea of together, standing firm together in one spirit, striving together against the enemy, not against one another, and then doing it with one mind and heart. It it would not be difficult to expand this idea of the local church of athletics. It wouldn't be hard. Each person has an assigned place and job, and if each one is doing his job, it helps all the others. Everybody's got a role to play on the team. Not everybody has the same role. Not everybody can be the point guard or the quarterback or the worship leader or the pastor. Not everyone can teach Sunday school. But everyone has a place on the team. There's a place to serve. The team has, has to follow the rules, and the Word of God is our rule book. There's one goal, to bring glory to God. And we do that by loving God, loving people, and serving the world. So we do the things the Lord has told us to do, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. If we all work together, we can reach the goal. We can win the prize and we can glorify the Lord. But the minute any one of us starts disobeying the rules, we get outside of what God has commanded us to do. We start living in sin. You know what? It hurts the whole team. When we break training, well, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, you know, if you skip practice on a team, there's a problem. We skip church, and it doesn't seem to be a problem. But yet it is a problem. Folks, we should be faithful in church because this is training. This is training. You miss, well, I just missed two out of three Sundays. I heard one sermon. I got one Sunday school lesson. Yeah, but you missed two sermons and two other Sunday school lessons. You, you missed the opportunity to grow. It's important. Breaking training. Looking for glory. Hey, this is about me. I need attention. The teamwork disappears. When those things happen, the teamwork disappears and division and competition take over. In other words, Paul was reminding us again of the need for the single mind. That Christ first. Christ first. There's joy in our lives even as we battle the enemy. We can have joy in our lives, folks. And if we live for Christ and the gospel and practice Christian teamwork, we can have great joy in our lives. We are citizens of heaven and therefore should walk in conduct becoming of Christ. We are members of the same team and should be working uh, cooperatively. We should not be working against each other. We should work cooperatively. But the last thing Paul shares is this. Uh, He's talking, the word would be confidence. He's conveying confidence. Look, Look at verses 28 through 30. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. So in these verses, Paul gives us several encouragements that give us confidence in the battle. We're in this battle. We're going to need some confidence. We're going to need some some encouragement and some reassurance. There's three things real quick. First is this. These battles prove that we're saved. If you're not not facing any tribulation in your life, you you may not be saved. In fact, I would would strongly say if, if life is just, man, just rainbows and unicorns, you, you may not know the Lord because the Scripture is very clear that, that for us, and I'm, I'll, I'll read another verse in a moment, but really it proves salvation. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. The world looks at our sufferings and, and assumes that we're abandoned by God. 
There are those that would say, well, there's no God. If God, it's a shame when people within the church question God's goodness because they're going through hard times. We should never question God's goodness, never. But when we question it because we go through hard times, I've never heard a Christian one question God's goodness when they found a $100 bill on the road. I've never, when things just went wonderfully, they get that promotion, why God, why would you do this to me? But you let something go wrong and we question God. We question His goodness. That, we shouldn't, that shouldn't be within the church. But the outside world will look at your life when you're going through adversity and they'll say, ah, see, there's no God. It's just the opposite. It proves God's working in your life. And when you're going through adversity and there's things that are happening, it is, it is a proof of your salvation and it is from God. Number two, we, we not only believe in Christ, but we also suffer for Christ. As believers, we're going to suffer. Verse 29, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Paul called this the fellowship of His sufferings in chapter 3, verse 10 of Philippians. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. Paul wanted to be a part of that. He wanted, he embraced to be able to suffer with Christ. He embraced that. He didn't flee from that. He didn't whine about it. He embraced it. He welcomed it. John 16, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Folks, as a believer, you're going to have tribulation. But the Lord says, be, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Have peace. I have overcome the world. When you're going through tribulation... Just lean on me. I'll give you peace. I'm the God of all peace. I'm the God of all comfort. I'll give, you, I'll give you exactly what you need. You lean on me when you go through those things. 2 Timothy 3.12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you're going to live godly, you're going to live for the Lord, you're going to face persecution. Man, and it's something that we should embrace and not run from and not complain about. We should embrace it. Church, the presence of conflict is a privilege. We suffer for His sake. That's what the Scripture says. For His sake. In fact, Paul told us that this conflict is granted to us. Uh, it is a gift. It's granted to us. We have such, uh, going back to what I said earlier, we've got such a mentality of lifestyle of the rich and famous. Lord, I love you. Lord, I read your word every morning before I go to work. Why would this bad thing happen to me? Why have you abandoned me? That should not be our attitude at all. We should be grateful when these things happen because we, we can have confidence that God is using it, that He is in it, He's granted it, He's allowed it. It's a part of our Christian walk. Man, it's part of the fellowship of His suffering. If He suffered, we ought to embrace suffering with Him. Amen? Boy, that was... We weren't real excited about that, were we? <laughs> we ought to celebrate that. We really should. We should. It doesn't make it easy... I mean, I'm not saying we should have this warped mentality about, oh, man, this is so great. I am just, dying. you know, I'm dying here and my family's falling apart and, and we're under all this and our financially our business has crashed. But you know what? We can celebrate that we know God is in control Amen. and we can know that he's going to use it. And he, again, that you want to talk about a testimony when you're going through those hard times and you live it out and you model what you say you believe? That God loves you and, and that He is good. God is good. What do we say? Well, God is good. All and all the time. 
man, when things aren't real good, we ought to model that. We ought to still model that, that God is good even when things aren't good. God is good. We model that, and people are watching us. They go, man, those folks are real. Their faith is real. We live that out. Third thing is this, and Pastor Aaron, you can, you can make your way up, Jim. Third thing is this. As we're in this battle, we're not alone. Anybody ever feel alone? I hope you don't, but you may. You may. Uh, Patrick was sharing, Patrick, I'm sharing your story a little bit. Patrick was at the bottom of, he got sick. He took this trip to the Grand Canyon, and he got sick at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. So he was kind of, he couldn't go forward, so the rest of them left him. And that was the plan. So they left him, and Patrick's at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, sick. And he was telling me, he was talking to me Thursday about this. He said, you know, it was kind of lonely, right? Patrick's back there. It was kind of lonely. And I said, well, I've had the same thought when I'm about 30 feet down scuba diving. I've had the thought of, what if I, I've thought this. Anybody scuba dive? You may have thought this too. And you, and you think, what if I look up and there's nobody around? And there's a few times I've gotten about, about 270 degrees around before I found my team, you know, and I'm like, but what if you look all the way around and there's nobody there? You know, we know they're there, but they're, they're, we're alone. Man, that's a feeling of loneliness. And we can, we can get caught up in that. We can think that we're alone, but what the Scriptures tell us, verse 30, having the same conflict. Paul says, I'm having the same conflict which you saw in me. You're, you, you face conflict? Think about this. I'm facing conflict. The same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. You're facing conflict? I'm facing conflict. You're not alone in this. Who, who, in the, who in the scriptures can you think of that went through kind of a battle like that? Elijah, right? So Elijah defeats the prophets of Baal. He's in this great battle with Jezebel. And, he, and then he, 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 he defeats these, these prophets of Baal with a miracle of God. And then he flees from Jezebel. I still don't understand that. But he was a fear, feared for his life and he flees. And he goes off in this valley and, he's, and, and he gets to a place. Where it's just, woe is me. Woe is me. And he's having this pity party. Anybody guilty? Don't raise your hand. Anybody guilty? I'll raise my hand. Because I've been there. And you get this pity party. I'm, the, I'm trying to do right. I'm the one doing right. And nobody else is, is with me. Nobody's with And that's what Elijah was doing. He sounded like a little two-year-old. He sounded like a two-year-old. But the Lord came to him and said, look, you're not. You're not, you're not alone in this. There are thousands who've never bent the knee to Baal. They're faithful to the Lord. We're never alone in this. And so the encouragement is, when we're going through this battle, you're facing adversity, you're facing challenges, you're facing struggles because of your faith, just know you're not alone. You can press on. You can keep on. Because it's always good to know that Man, Brent's in the fight with me. Pastor Aaron is in the fight with me. Raymond is in the fight with me. We're, we're together in this. We may not be here right now together, but we're together. Miss Linda's praying for me. I know that. Fred is praying for me. They're, 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 we're, we're, we're banding together. We're striving together. We're never alone. We're in this together. Amen? Amen. We're going to have a, a song in just a moment, and uh, I'm going to encourage you. We'll, we'll stand and we'll sing together this morning, Pastor, and we'll sing together. I just want you to think about this. How's my conduct? 
What would, what would my coworkers say about my conduct? What would, what would the person I ran into at, you know, at Walmart when I had that conduct, what would they say about my conduct? Is my conduct, is it becoming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it becoming of a, a citizen of heaven? Is it becoming of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? If not, maybe there's something that I need to adjust. Maybe there's something that I need to confess to the Lord, something I need to tweak in my life. That, that this, you know, Lord, this is, this, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be engaged in that. I shouldn't be involved with that. I shouldn't have that attitude. I shouldn't act that way because that is not the way the Lord, you'd have me do it. That's not the way the citizen of heaven should behave and respond. So think about that this morning. That's, that's a challenge. But then where are we at as, you know, where am I? What's my attitude when it comes to teamwork? What's my attitude in, in us working together? as brothers and sisters in Christ, in this church, not only in this church, but, but as believers worldwide. How, what's my attitude about that? Do I have the right attitude in that? Or is it, more, is it more about me than it is about the mission of the church, God's church, His mission? What's more important, me or, or, or Him? So I want to challenge you with that. Think about that this morning. And, and I love the testimony Wednesday night. Miss Debbie Barber, what, what, is Debbie back there or is she in, she's in the back? She had a great testimony about the altar and the power of the altar. And I love it. I wish I had it taped and could play it right now, the importance of this altar. Look, when you've got something going on in your life, you can sit there and pray. Yeah, you can do that. Man, there's something about responding to what God's doing in your life and moving and coming and talking to God. This is an altar. These aren't steps. It's a place for you to physically respond to what God's doing. So maybe, maybe he's doing, doing something in your life this morning. Maybe there's somebody you need to pray for. Maybe there's, there's someone in the church that you know they're going through a time, and you just want to lift them up. Maybe there's someone in your family had a testimony. I think Miss Gail had a testimony this morning that her best friend, or one of her friends she's been praying for, came to faith in Christ. Amen. I imagine you've been to this altar and prayed for her. Amen. So this morning, I, I, you know, the, the, the invitation is simple. Whatever God's doing in your life, just obediently respond to that. And if you're sitting here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, and you say, Pastor Conrad, I, I want to know more about being a, a believer. I'm being a, a Christ follower, being a Christian. I want to know more about that. I'd invite you to come down. I'd love to sit down and talk with you. We'll take this Bible. I'll open it up, and we'll, we'll just walk through it. Maybe today would be the day that you would you'd truly come into faith in Christ. If that's you this morning, I invite you to come down. Don't wait. Come down. So if we'll stand, we'll have a word of prayer. And pastor will lead us in this uh, song of response. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul, your man, your servant, your apostle. Lord, we look at Paul's life and all the things that he went through. I can't imagine living the life Paul lived, and yet Paul's life was not a life of despair and complaining and whining. It was a life of joy and glorifying and honoring and praising the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit of God for the work in his life and through his life. May we all, may we have that same attitude. Lord, we want to contend for the faith. And in order to do that effectively, we need to live out our faith. 
faithfully. Lord, we need to live what we say we believe. Help us to do that. And Lord, help us to band together in unity as a congregation, as a fellowship of believers, that, that Lord, we would just, uh, there would be an incredible fellowship here and the oneness here as, as, we, as we contend for the faith. Lord, help us to strive together for the faith of the gospel. Lord, bless now in this time of invitation. Whatever the need is on our hearts, I pray we'll just be obedient to respond. In Jesus' name we pray.